to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. You know, if everyone's going out down this traditional path, then maybe you should like consider what the what the other options are. If every firm owner is struggling uh, to pay their employees reasonable wages, then how can I change that? Welcome, everyone. I am super pumped to have Tyler Sumala with us today. Hey there, Tyler. Hi, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. It's just an absolute honor to be on the podcast. Well, we're glad to have you. So I kind of discovered you because you have some saucy posts on LinkedIn (laughs) related to the profession of architecture and the experience of being an architect that I thought were really spot on at targeting what I always like to call the culture of design and the way we all kind of accept the premise of things that are kind of broken and maybe we shouldn't. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of perspective of how you came to have these insights and sort of be this architecture pundit. Yeah, it mostly came through, I think, through pain, like it does for most people, right? But it's it's like a slow realization. So I didn't start off in architecture in school originally. I was studying neuroscience, actually. I studied that for like three years and decided to take an architecture course. Uh, it was just like a freehand drawing course, like one of those initial intro courses in architecture. And I think I walked out of that first class. It was, I think, second semester of junior year. And I was like, I'm switching. This is my calling. <laughs> I really just enjoy the culture that it surrounded that. Actually, the professor um, is still like a close friend to this day. So she's she was amazing and she brings so many, so much joy, I think, to a lot of architecture students I'm at the University of Michigan. So that was great. And so I actually switched into architecture in what would have been my senior year. That's when I joined the architecture program. So I was already kind of delayed into architecture. After my first semester, um, I jumped into an internship at uh, Disney World and worked in their architecture department. So that was my first exposure to the professional side of architecture. Um, A little different, obviously, you know, working at Disney is, is, it's a, I was in their architecture department, you know, it's a little unique. It's not the same as working at just a flat architecture firm. But you still get the explosion. It was it was kind of an interesting, I think, experience to have immediately after my first semester in architecture, where you get a little bit of everything. You know, you get the design studio, you get a little bit of theory. You have like a kind of a construction documentation course. And I remember about a month into my internship, realizing like, wow, I think the most relevant course that I've taken up to this point was the one maybe that I least enjoyed at the time, which was like the construction documentation course, you know, taking all of those. But um, that was a really important experience for me because I really enjoyed like the culture, the culture at Disney at the time was great. I really enjoyed like what they had developed there for the team, but I was, I was challenged by like the work I was doing. I was kind of questioning like, okay, is this what the profession is? Because if it is, I'm not, I'm not positive if I want to pursue it for multiple reasons. So I had that kind of in my back pocket went back to school. I love the architecture education when I'm in it. I always I always have it. It's so 
fun and enjoyable. And I think it appeals to so many. I've been, I've yet to really speak to some like to speak to an architect or to engage with an architect that doesn't enjoy their time in architecture school, right? Like it's it's always fun. I think the challenge is the second that you step out of it, you realize there's a little bit of a there's a lot of it. There's a lot of bit of a disconnect that's happening between there. So I actually graduated and um, I'm a person that tends to follow my curiosity a little bit more than whatever the traditional path is. So I actually ended up working at a startup instead, like right after my bachelor's degree. And it was not not related to architecture at all, but I was I kind of blended myself into like a design role, like a lead design role. And did a little bit of everything there until the startup ran itself into the ground. <laughs> so a good, a good first experience with that. With those experiences, kind of like I'd say the first half of like education and professional experiences, there was a lot of kind of floundering is what it felt like. I was like, I know that I really enjoyed architecture education. I wasn't positive for my first professional experience in architecture. Um, I wasn't positive for my first professional experience in startups. So I was still curious. So I decided to take that curiosity again through into grad school. So I ended up I ended up getting my master's degree in architecture another time period, two years that I just really enjoyed, you know, my time working uh, and teaching. I did a little bit of teaching while I was in grad school as well, which like really appeals to me. So enjoyed all of those experiences, enjoyed like the academic pursuits that come along with with the education, jumped out and ended up working at an international firm for that first year out of grad school. And there was a few challenges that I felt like immediately. One was what at the time I was graduating, like with my master's degree, I was probably maybe like six years into my architecture career at that point. I just remember looking at the salary and being like, is this is this like what it is? Is this where I start after two degrees in architecture and I'm, I'm moving into a city, you know, moving to a big city where rent is not cheap. Uh, I had a wife, we had gotten married young. So we were married actually in undergrad and wouldn't have gotten through either, either degree without her. Moved to Chicago. I don't know how to explain it other than there's certain challenges that people pick up on, like when they get, when they jump into the profession, there's a lot of parts of it that I enjoy, but it's also, I think, when you actually start doing the work, you're like, okay, is this like, did I go to school for six years to do like some details in Revit and, you know, to go to, to go to meetings and to, you're jumping, you know, to, to work on this really specific room and this like large skyscraper of a building, you begin having like these questions to yourself and I'm looking ahead and I'm seeing, okay, there's people that have been here for 10 years, you know, what are they working on? I just didn't find it fulfilling for me. I also realized in that I'm agoraphobic, so I struggle with agoraphobia, right? Which means that sometimes I go through different phases where it's really difficult for me to like be out of the house. So working in an office five days a week, sometimes depending on what phase of that I'm in is really challenging. I essentially decided to leave the international firm and move, my wife and I decided to move back home, uh, back to our hometown, actually, um, where we just had more support. We knew that we were interested in growing a family. Uh, I knew that I wanted more of a work-life balance. So I ended up pairing up with a friend that uh, had just started his own firm like a year earlier. And we ended up just pairing up on a couple of small commercial and like residential projects. And that's where I ended up like starting my just own practice locally in my hometown. I had taken the pains that associated, you know, with, with the professional pursuits prior, you know, working under other people and tried to build my own firm. And so that's that's a whole nother animal, right? As anyone knows, you go and start your own practice, then immediately, you know, like a month and I'm like, where do I find, how do I find work? 
uh, where mm -hmm. do I go? You know, the first project was kind of a blessing because it was like brought to us by a friend of a friend. Uh, we had gone and had a meeting with them and they had kind of signed in and that that was awesome. But, you know, a month into that, you're realizing, okay, this project is actually going to be over in like two months. Uh, what comes next? What comes next? Essentially, I did that again for another couple of years. It was a mix of residential and um, small commercial projects that I jumped into, but just had a lot of conversations with my wife. Um, we had our first child at the time, like throughout that process too, during the during the pandemic. and just wasn't like again just wasn't feeling fulfilled and i think there was a there was a lot of challenges associated with that like i found that i really enjoyed the design process don't so much enjoy like putting together a 20-page construction document package you know and sending those off um do enjoy you know working in teams sometimes with the general contractors and things like that there's always so much to learn but i think there's a there's a real challenge with running your own practice and realizing like you don't have anyone at, i wasn't I was kind of working with my friend on some projects and other, you know, with other residential projects, I wasn't. So I didn't have anyone to bounce ideas off of or anyone to go to for additional help. And that's a scary place to find yourself, I think, at times um, to not to not have that support to pull into. After two and a half years of running my own practice, I decided to look elsewhere, like to kind of shift careers in a sense. And again, begin following my curiosity, thinking about what parts of running my own business that I enjoyed, which was really like, I really enjoyed communicating with the clients. Um, I really enjoyed the business development side of that. Like I, it was something that I had kind of quickly picked up on in terms of, okay, like I don't know where to find projects. Where am I going to start? We have a small hometown. I was in, my wife and I grew up in a small area with maybe, you know, 30,000 people or something like that reached out, I picked up the phone and just like called all home builders, uh, general contractors like in the area and asked them if they had an architect that they were working with for their projects. That was initially like how I started getting my initial pipeline in. But I'd realized I'd really enjoyed that process. So I decided, okay, maybe, maybe I should jump into like see if there's some kind of tangential career related to architecture where I can still use all of my learnings. And that's when I found Monograph. So I'm loving how you kind of go from, I'm interested in this, let me learn more. Oh, this excites me, let me explore it. And you've kind of gone down a number of paths and not all of them led you somewhere where you wanted to keep going down that path, but rather than see that as, oh, well, I just have to suck it up and go through with it. You're like, no. I'm going to go in a different direction. And you just keep tapping into your own intuition and your own interests. So um, can you talk a little bit more about that self-awareness that lets you know when, when to stop and how to know which direction to go in? Yeah, I think there's two components that are really important to that. The first one, I think, is having someone that knows you uh, really well, different ways. So for me, that's my wife. Um, so she's, you know, very aware of me as well, you know, as, as I am of her. And so, you know, when, when I come home and she, she can see, you know, the look on my face and realize, you know, something's, something's off. You have endless conversations in that moment to try to understand like, what is it? You know, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, something doesn't, something doesn't feel right. I'm not like enjoying my time uh, at this point. And so, it never happens in that first conversation, right? These are, these are things that happen over weeks. But I think what's really important for me is at least to you just continue having those conversations. 
we, we talk about this all the time, my wife and I, in terms of like, yeah, I know that's the way that we're feeling, but like, what's actually like happening? Like, what's the second and third layer of this? What's actually the foundation of this struggle that we're having or this way that we're feeling? There's a lot of conversations about that. And what we've found is that it typically is based on, um, we've made a lot of decisions based on like mental health. That's where we've tend to like find our value when we're making these decisions. So that's what works best for me. So that means something like, okay, if, if I'm not happy, if I'm not joyful, if I'm not excited about going to work every single day, that's okay at this point, but I should focus some attention on trying to find out why and then try to identify if there's another option for me there. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not a person that's able to like, I can't like push through discomfort. I just can't do it. I can't. Well, you know, no it's, one should, even if yeah. you can, you really have to say just because you can doesn't mean you should. And yeah. it really is a zero sum game to become a zombie where you're just focused on the deadlines mm-hmm. in your rut, in your comfort zone, but not really excited about what you're doing. And that happens so often. And I think it happens because we buy into this idea that this is all there is. And mm-hmm. what it kept hearing as you were telling your story is you were going, is this all there is? I, I thought it could be better than this. And that's actually really audacious. Most of the time we don't give ourselves permission to say exactly what you just said. I should be happier. (laughs) I should feel more joy (laughs) with what I'm doing. And I love that you took a stand for that and you weren't willing to just numb out or be stoic. And instead you said, no, I'm going to seek my joy and that you just keep looking. So tell me more about monograph and this probably isn't going to be your last stop either, but how, <laughs> how is this meeting the need you have right now? And how is it helping you be a voice in the industry? Yeah, I think with monograph specific, like, I really feel like I've found my calling and my fit for this point in my life. And that's primarily because, so my job really consists of endless conversations with architects. My entire day is full of meetings with architects, specifically, usually like the firm leaders. I'm speaking with the principals and um, the associates and the owners of the firms to understand what challenges they're facing in their practice right now and trying to identify whether or not, obviously, their challenges would somehow be linked or if it's something that Monograph can help with in some way. But I really enjoy the discovery process, which is like, what challenges are you having? What systems are you using? What's the impact that's having on your team? Which is where my passion lies. So obviously I'm having conversations with the firm leaders, which isn't, I know that I ran my own, you know, I was a sole practitioner, so I'm not here to pretend like I know what it's like to run, you know, a 10, 15, 30, 40 person firm. Um, I know that there's a lot of different challenges associated with that. So my passion really lies in like, I want to give principals and firm owners Um, access to the information they need to make informed decisions so that they can positively impact their practice and then use those additional, that additional revenue, those additional profits to trickle down to their employees and increase their salaries, reduce their overtime, you know, have a positive impact on the whole team. So that's like, that's my vision whenever I'm speaking to someone is that 
one by one, I'm hoping to give them the resources they need so that we can have a positive impact, not just on the firm, like not just on the business, but really on the people. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you learning are the biggest issues out there? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what they are, but I think first I want to approach it like from the perspective of every principal, I think always thinks that their situation is unique. Um, and I think I would too, like you, you're jumping in, they, you know, I don't, these are the challenges that I'm having. I'm sure this isn't something that you see often, but 90% of the conversations I'm having are very similar. They're all having kind of the same challenges. Uh, the first one right now, and these happen in waves and phases, right? But I've, the last, I'd say six months have been hiring. Hiring is a big one. People are struggling to find the talent they need, which I think kind of goes back to this conversation about, you know, the architectural education, what things are learned in school, how prepared people are for the professional field after they graduate. That's obviously part of that. And I definitely hear that back from the principals as well. You know, the amount of training required to get someone where they need them to be so that they can be like a valuable member and efficient member of the team. That's definitely one. The second one is really about reducing risk. And what I mean by that is after you really dive into it, what you find is that there's a lot of firms and firm owners that don't actually have access to data um, on their firm. So they might be using like one tool to track their time. They're using another tool to track their projects. They're using another tool for their accounting. Um, They're using spreadsheets in between there um, that are maybe only managed by each project manager. You know, so if a principal or, or an owner wants to get an understanding of where the projects are at in their firm, they could require, you know, a half day to a full day of like walking around to everyone's desk and seeing, hey, what's like, can I see your spreadsheets or can you share them with me? Or can you send them with me? What's going on with this project? So it's this idea of almost like consolidating your data, you know, into one place to so they can basically avoid these disruptive surprises, right? Of putting together the invoice and then realizing that they, you know, are are many hours over on the schematic design phase which is typically what happens now, right? They don't actually find this stuff out until they're invoicing for it, which is problematic. So it's really about this idea of getting them to be proactive rather than reactive. And that has, you know, obviously significant impacts on the business. Yeah, so you had mentioned, you know, trying to position firms for success and this idea that it will have a trickle down effect in terms of investing in professional development of staff. And then you connected it to the disillusion of high ideals in education and the, you know, in the trenches, not so exciting aspect of working. And you also talked about what, what is my time worth and am I getting paid fairly? So I noticed that a lot of the insights that you share kind of are at the intersection of those three things based on the, you know, really being unique in terms of your perspective, the experiences you've had, and now having this great opportunity to talk to so many other architects. How healthy do you think the average architecture firm is and the profession is? I don't, I'm honestly, Angela, I'm, I'm honestly afraid to answer that question a little bit uh, <laughs> because I think we all know what the answer to that is, right? It's like, it's not very healthy. It's definitely not very healthy, which is sad. 
like it hurts me. That's why, like, that's, that's really the fuel for me to continue like having these conversations to continue posting the content like on LinkedIn, like I do and try to open this up because it, what it didn't take long. Uh, it took me like a couple of months into, into my position to realize like, okay, there's no way that I was the only one that was having this experience. <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not what it was. I thought it was. Um, but it became very clear that it's not, I would say unhealthy, ma- mainly based in just like unhappiness. Right. But it's also unhealthy. I think because I really, I really think that one of the foundational issues is the lack of business exposure that we get like in our education. And you could even argue like in, like while you're, while you're growing professionally, like in a firm, you don't usually get exposure to business aspects, maybe until you reach like a project manager status. And depending on what firm you're at, you might not get a ton of access other than kind of like Mm -hmm. managing the team. You know what I mean? And I think what happens then is that you kind of get these like delayed, delayed reactions toward business. It's, you don't get like the full cycle ideal of, of what it takes to maybe run a successful firm. And at the base, so at the you know foundation of that unhealthiness is really like a resistance to change. This is what I thought like running a business was. This is what it actually is. But I'm afraid to make the changes that I think are probably necessary. <laughs> because I'm not sure if they're going to work and I'm not sure what that looks like. I know now looks like, I know it's imperfect, but change is painful, <laughs> you know? Mm. We know how to design buildings. Yeah. We don't know how to do marketing. We don't know how to do HR. We certainly don't know how to do accounting. So a lot of the skills that anybody who was running a business would need to have, we don't. And that there is a lot of, I'll call it hazing that goes Mm -hmm. on and people tend to mirror what their own experience was. So if I had to pay my dues doing this kind of work before I got to do the better kind of work, then I should pass that along to everyone who works for me and they should get to have that same experience because it's what you know Mm -hmm. and you maybe you just want other people to have to go through what you went through maybe you're afraid of them surpassing you maybe you just don't know any better but that does tend to be a really kind of pernicious thing in our profession is this almost fear of giving people wings yeah, that's a great point. I think like what you were saying with that is it really it really takes just one person to break the status quo. But the fact is that that architecture is a very autonomous discipline and like a very it's very broken in the sense that 99, I'd say 99% of architects are kind of following the same path, right? And so you're right, it is like almost this hazing effect, you know, you're going to jump in, you're going to be an intern, then you're going to be a project designer, uh, then you might be you know, a, pro- a project manager. There's a there's a very clear and steady ladder that happens. You're thinking that you're only getting there as a result of the same way that everyone else is getting there. But it really just takes like one person to break the status quo and say, hey, like, what if we just, uh, what if we maybe decided to treat our team a little bit differently this time around? <laughs> you know? Yeah, or maybe, you know, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, just because that's sort of the traditional architecture career path doesn't mean that it's right for you. And I know I had that experience, right? 
I'm a project manager and I'm like, great, I, I'm doing really well. Oh, wait, I hate being a project manager. <laughs> I don't want to do this. But you kind of get strung along that this is the career progression and you don't get asked, is this really what you want to do? Is this really yeah. what suits you? What's right for you? It's, it's almost a question of like, how often do you actually self-search? I think we often kind of self like gravel, <laughs> you know, and we, we, come, we have a lot of complaints you know, when we're working in firms, we have a lot to be frustrated about, which I think is fair. But again, it's this idea of like, what's what aspects am I not enjoying? And what parts do I not mind throughout the day and things like that? So when I thought like, as, as you're doing that self-searching, for example, for me, like I was thinking back and realizing, I always felt a little, like I was always a little bit different in school in the sense that, especially after I got married, I had a very hard line in terms of like, I'm not I'm definitely not doing all-nighters. I'm not going to work that late into the studio. I have a wife to get home to. I like really value work-life balance. It was the same way in undergrad and in grad school. You know, while a lot of my classmates were there basically all the time, 24-7, um, I felt as though it was really healthy for me to have some kind of separation throughout the day, go home and get a good night's sleep, even if I felt like I hadn't gotten enough work done. And so like having that kind of like steady organization for me uh, was also really challenging then when I got to work at firms because that, again, that same culture that you're seeing in 99% of, of students in architecture school is carried right into the firm, which makes it really challenging. So it was part of that self-searching, oh, what parts did I really enjoy? I really enjoyed like being organized, really enjoyed having work-life balance. Um, how do I find, how do I bring that same kind of efficiency organization into the career now while not leaving architecture? Because I do love it. And I think, you know, you speak with any architect, they do love architecture. The passion for architecture, however you want to define what that is, is definitely there. But there's usually just a struggle in how that passion is being implemented, especially from like a career standpoint. And so what makes you think that people have I call it high confidence, low self-esteem, and it kind of starts in school with a lot of things you were talking about. You took a stand against that way of working, and I bet you did just as well as the people that pulled the all-nighters, but they bought into it. Why is that perpetuated, this idea that it, you can never be enough, you can never get the right answer? that good enough is never good enough because you see that telegraph through then into how people run their practice, where we overserve our clients, where we don't charge enough and therefore don't pay enough. And there's almost this badge of honor with the idea that you are this struggling creative instead of saying, why, why am I not being valued for what I'm actually contributing. Yeah, I think I think it really comes down to the way that the way that we treat each other. To me, I think that's the foundation of it. And it's not it's not necessarily like colleague to colleague. I'm thinking more like professor to student, that relationship, um, or maybe even critic, like critic to student. So you th think about, you know, the main uh, events happening in architecture school, right, is the review, the final reviews or the midterm reviews. And I think what you come away from that, usually, I think it's not it's not necessarily like spoken up front. Like there's not a conversation before your first review, unless you very aware, you know, uh, uh, instructor or professor that, hey, these reviews are actually just meant to be like 
constructive feedback, um, hopefully, to help you like better develop ideas in the future or better develop this project, depending on what stage of the project it's at. But usually that conversation isn't had, either not, not with the students and usually not with the critics either, right? Because there can, depending on the, you know what's happening there, there can be different like politics that are happening even within the review, just between the critics that are there. I think what what's learned like moving out of that is that okay, my work is never it's never where it needs to be. Um, mm -hmm. There's always there's always changes to me, and it's not it's not bad to think that there's always room to improve. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. But I think what's bad is like the the personal attachment to that. Like I I am still not reaching like what I need to do. I'm still not. I'm still not where I need to be in terms of this design or that design. So then when you take that into the profession, you realize, okay, the second you step into a studio, you're going to have a studio manager and it's going to be the same relationship. You're literally like, you're never going to be hit with, that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, that is exactly what we needed. That's exactly what the team is needed. Also because the studio managers aren't being told that either. They're, they're working with the clients and the clients are saying, oh, like maybe this change can happen. And then because of that, like build up, you've, you've been experiencing that all the way through the studio manager, the project manager is thinking, yeah, you know what, you're right. And as and as a result, I'm, I'm not going to charge for the time that we spent to like put in towards that design because it wasn't what you wanted. It's a cycle that to me really just starts in with relationships. I think right, that's the only way right. to break it. Yeah. I think, you know, it's what you expect and what you're available for. Mm -hmm. And we learn early on to be available for, frankly, abuse. So <laughs> last question, just to wrap it up, what advice would you give to, you know, architects today, whether, whether they're firm owners or they're, you know, working at whatever point they are in their career, What's the one thing you would tell everyone they absolutely need to do? I'd say uh, just because of the state of the arc of architecture, right, of the industry, is that I'd say you should be doing, if you find that you're doing the same thing that the majority of the other firms are doing, then you should try to find what the opposite version of that is. Now, it may be not the opposite, um, but I do, I do have something that's always been in the back of my mind, which is like, if everyone is doing it, then it's probably actually not the right thing to do. You know, if everyone's going down, down this traditional path, then maybe you should like consider what the, what the other options are. If every firm owner is struggling, uh, to pay their employees reasonable wages, then how can I change that? You know, if every firm owner doesn't have access to the information they need to make informed decisions, um, what changes can I make in, in my firm to give myself access to that information? So I think it's, it's not being, it's basically not being complacent um, with the status quo, in my opinion, because we know, like we, I don't, we know that there's challenges in the industry. So obviously we can't tackle those challenges by continuing to do like what the majority of people are doing. Yeah. Cause you can say that it's not working. <laughs> right. You can say that it's not working. I mean, I, I, I haven't spoken to anyone yet that agrees that or that, that disagrees that something's not working, that things aren't working. Um, the difference is, you know, there's only, only 5% of them are maybe actively trying to change that. Uh, the other ones are just acknowledging, yeah, it's not working and hoping that something changes. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's, that's faulty thinking to say yeah. the least. So thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. Um, loved a lot of the insights you were able to share. 
how can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, I think uh, two places. One is on LinkedIn, uh, which uh, my last name, S-U-O-M-A-L-A. Uh, that's where I post. Um, I post every morning at 8.06 uh, a.m. Eastern time, which is oddly, oddly specific. Um, but I do a post every weekday, usually focused around either challenges of the industry, things that I'm hearing from other principals, things like that. So I really am trying to take um, the insights that I'm gaining on a on a daily basis and, and reflect them back to um, my followers. Um, and another option is just um, Tyler at monograph.com. Um, if you are a firm owner that's listening to this saying, uh, these are some of the challenges I'm facing. I'd love to have a conversation with you and see if, if it's something that, that we'd be able to help with. Great. Well, everyone, make sure that you go on LinkedIn and connect with Tyler and share your insight from listening to this episode and make sure you tag him so that he knows what you took away from this conversation. Thank you again so much for taking the time. I really want to continue this further because this is just such such an important issue until we make some fundamental changes and until we kind of do the inside work on ourselves to not be stoic and to say that we deserve to love what we do every day, nothing's going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. And yeah, to, to everyone that's listening, it's really just about starting the conversation or continuing the conversation that's beginning. So yeah, please jump in. Yeah, be brave. Thank you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired. Mm-hmm.